welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 7, A Study in 1 Peter. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the Gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today we continue into 1 Peter Chapter 2, our second episode looking into how we proclaim the Gospel to our culture's social order. How should believers respond to unjust criticism and suffering? If God is our Lord, how should we respond to this unjust suffering? Tough questions, especially to the current enslaved in Peter's audience. All right, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. We covered verse 18 in the last episode, but for context, we will include it again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a glorious thing, or gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, to verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 18 clearly calls for slaves to submit or be subject to their masters. And now in verse 19, Peter begins to tell us why. The interpretation depends on the Greek word charis, which in the ESV is rendered a gracious thing or grace, and it seems to be synonymous with the word credit. This leads to believers receiving an award or credited for gracefully enduring suffering. All could be evidence of God's grace at work. In other words, those who suffer unjustly are rewarded by God. Now, what reward does Peter have in mind here? Well, probably of the future inheritance described in chapter 1. We go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The future reward and living hope to imperishable undefiled and an unfading inheritance now jesus tells us in luke chapter 6 verse 32 if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you what benefit is that to you for even sinners do the same 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So, what distinguishes believers from unbelievers? Well, Jesus tells us. It is this extraordinary love for enemies and sinners. Similarly, Peter is stating that suffering for doing wrong has no credit because you get what you deserve. But suffering for doing right is rewardable. This reward is eschatological in inheritance would be their future salvation. Verse 20 says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. If you are punished for wrongdoing, no credit is applied. However, when you suffer for doing good, God will look at you with favor. We see in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. God is involved, even when we suffer for doing good. Verse 21 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So how should we view the subject of suffering for doing what is right? Why would believers even suffer at all? Peter answers, because Christ suffered for us. For this suffering, Peter says, we have been called. We are to endure suffering in our lives just as Christ did as an example set before us. We are to follow Christ's example and possibly suffer as he did. We must note the differences in Christ's suffering as he was sinless, and we certainly are not. Christ's suffering led to his substitutionary death upon which our whole soul relationship with him is is based on. We are saved by that grace. Peter is explaining that our gracious suffering through the grace of God may itself lead others to come to a relationship with Christ. The gospel is clear that the message of the gospel is not about us. Well, let me put it more bluntly. It's not about you. It has always been about others. Should we suffer because of our relationship with God? That is not punishment for us, but God's grace shown through us to possibly lead to the salvation of others. Obviously, no one wants to suffer, but for some, that might come as God is using his followers to lead others to himself. Verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Christ's suffering was ordained, as we see from Peter, quoting Isaiah 53 once more. Let's look at verses Isaiah 53, 7-9 says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Amazing prophecies from several hundred years before. But Jesus never sinned, and became the perfect sacrificial lamb for the forgiveness of sins for mankind, once and for all. Believers are to follow the set example. Jesus suffered intensely for no crime other than being the Son of God. Believers should refrain from sinning and using deceit when being mistreated because we are a disciple of Christ. Verse 23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when Christ was reviled and threatened, his answer was not to revile and threaten back. Peter was a witness to these things, even though he himself drew a sword the night that Jesus was arrested. John chapter 18, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They fell to the ground because they had no choice. They were before God himself. Verse 7 says, So he asked them again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, the very person that wrote this letter, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus' life absolutely matched his teaching. Some we've already covered in Matthew chapter 5, for, but for emphasis I want to read it again. Matthew five thirty-eight to 48 You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What gave Jesus the strength to not retaliate against those who are abusing him? Well, he entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. 
And here's another example for believers. Believers likewise need to trust that God will vindicate them and will judge their enemies. In Romans 12:19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In this verse, we have three more references to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, these don't line up perfectly to what Peter is saying, but Peter was using the Septuagint to get these verses. But he also is referring to Isaiah 53:11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus' death was the means that sins are and were forgiven. Jesus bore our sins on the cross, becoming a substitutionary death for sinners. Christ's death was not just to provide forgiveness, but to empower people to live for righteousness. Believers are free from the power of sin that eternally separated us from God. His wounds on the cross bridge the gap, allowing us to have direct access to God. That provides a new kind of life. Verse 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, that comes from Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Believers are no longer lost sheep, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Thomas Schreiner writes, The moral goodness of the lives of believers should shine as an example to non-believers and draw them to a saving knowledge of God. Peter now reminds his readers that they do not serve the emperor or the slave owner, but serve Christ himself. Jesus Christ is ruler and Lord. In episode 8, we will continue to look at the social order of believers in the family and how do we live a godly life. I hope this season 4 in the first letter of Peter speaks to your heart. I pray that this study blesses you and I encourage you to spend time in God's word. Biblical Tapestry is on Facebook and Instagram, and I encourage you to please like and share this podcast if you have discovered something from this study. God bless, and I pray that you're doing well.